Lord, we lift you high this morning because you have come. You have come. You have drawn us to yourself. You have invited us in to your presence. We thank you, God, for bringing us into the fellowship, the eternal fellowship of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, and we call on you, God Most High. We invoke your presence in the name of Jesus to come and fill this place. Fall on us here. We set this place apart for you. We set our minds apart for you, our hearts apart for you in this time, Lord. Draw us close. We want to be with you. We want to fellowship with you. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Increase your presence here this morning. We love you. Amen. All right, go ahead and take a seat. One of the things, if uh, one of the things, if you didn't know, I was gone for a while, um, and I'm back. I came back last week, and one of the things I missed was just you. The biggest thing I missed was you being together with you, fellowshipping with you, seeing your faces, catching up, and it's great coming here on Sundays because I always get to meet new people, and being part of this fellowship really fills me up gives me life. And it's, it's because of you, and it's because we are fellowshipping not just with each other, but with God. This, God has pulled us into fellowship with himself, and at the same time pulled us together in this gathering as his people. And we're going to, over the next several weeks, as we focus on this idea of multiply, we're going to look at how God wants to multiply his presence among us. He wants to multiply our fellowship. He wants to deepen his connection with us. He wants to help us build and strengthen our connection, our relationships, our friendships with each other. Fellowship is the focus today. God's going to multiply this. He's a multiplying God. He likes things to increase and grow. Let's look at this word fellowship to get started. Fellowship is it's a repeated word in scriptures, going back to the Hebrew scriptures, uh, which point forward to Jesus, uh, the word for fellowship is shalem, which is related to another word, kind of, maybe you heard it in the general word, shalem, fellowship, means friendship. That's like a good general definition of friendship. God is calling you, me, into friendship. That's good. That's a, that's a good thing. I like this. All right. Fellowship, friendship. Then we get to the New Testament written in Greek, and we have a different word, koinonia, which in includes that idea of friendship. It adds a couple other things like partnership. God wants to partner with you and me in life. He wants us to share, to be part of a sharing relationship. Right? A good friendship, you see participation together. You have sharing together. Um, you have participation in life together. This is what God is doing in the world. He's calling people, you, me, people all around the world into fellowship with him. When we look at scripture, scripture is God's revelation to you and me to help us know what's up. Because it can get confusing, we can get disoriented, right? Go into scripture, God reveals to us what has happened, what he's been doing, what he is doing now, and what he will do, where he's leading this whole project. All right, so if we look at this and we follow through this, this idea of fellowship, we see it all over the place. Here's the big idea. God wants to fellowship 
with his people. God wants to dwell with you and me, with people. We see this throughout Genesis to Revelation. We're going to do a skim through looking at God fellowshipping with people. And in it, we're going to see that God's primary offer to you and me, the thing that he, he offers, uh, not so much health and wealth and, and blessing and, you know, fame or status or, I don't know, a new outfit. He, those come sometimes with his blessings. But the primary thing he is offering you and me is himself, is himself, friendship with God the creator, the maker of all things. So let's look at this. Let's go to the beginning. We'll go to Genesis 1.27. Buckle up. It's a good day to have a bulletin. Follow along. You need a pen. Just raise your hand. and we'll get one to you. All right, Genesis 1.27. Listen to this. God created humanity, you, me, us, in his own image, in his likeness. In the image of God, he created them, male and free, female. He created them. He created us. God created us for fellowship. We share, remember that's a key word in fellowship, we share in God's image and likeness. And God made us male and female. We're built for fellowship. We're, we're built for a committed partnership with, with one another. The God of fellowship made you and me for fellowship with him and with one another. That's how we're designed and we're separated from that, when we're distant from that, when we're not living in that, we struggle. It's not good for us to be alone. So God calls us in. Now the next thing we see is that God then takes these people, made in his image and likeness, he puts them in a set-apart place, a garden, the Garden of Eden. He creates a special place for them. And it's, it's filled with good things. Good water, life-giving tree, food, everything they need. All right? And something else is there. Someone else is there. Genesis 3.8, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. In some form, God is with them. God is present. God is dwelling with them. God is walking with them. God is present to have fellowship with them in the beginning, in this set-apart place. And it's good, man. It's awesome. This is the place where heaven and earth overlap. Woo, like that. It's the hot spot of God's presence. It was good, very good. And tragically, oh, Genesis 3, there we go. It did not last. Remember this? Humanity, made the image of likeness God, turned away from God. Wanted to kind of do things our own way. We rejected his word. We stepped out of trusting relationship with him. We stepped out of that fellowship. We didn't know how good we had it. Right? Here's your first fill-in. Humanity, this is a repeated theme, humanity broke relationship, broke fellowship. That's, that's a hard truth. That's a hard reality. We see it again and again, though. Away from his presence. What is God's message? Genesis 1 through 3. Here it is. It's this, stay in, stay in, here's God, here's us, stay in with me, stay in with me, don't go away from me, you need me, you need to be part of this, but if you want to go your own way, you want to reject me and my words, I will let you go, you know, it's, it's a voluntary thing, 
He lets them walk. But he, what he will not do is allow you and me to enjoy his fellowship and the blessings that come with him and go our own way. Do things that oppose him, go against his word, come out from under his authority. He won't let us have it both ways. He says choose. We have to choose. Do we want fellowship with God or do we want our own way? Turns out separation from God the source, the power, the eternal creator is catastrophic, man. Catastrophic. There's no better word to describe it. They break away from God. What, what happens next? They felt ashamed. Sin, rejecting God, his word, leads to shame. That was a new thing. Before that, it was all good. And instead of confessing, acknowledging, Lord, we blew it. Forgive us. What did they do? Do you remember? They do the thing that you and I often do. Yeah. Even before they blame, they hid. They hid. Right? Another form of hiding is lying. Another form of hiding is withdrawing. Right? They hid from God, from each other, and then they blamed each other. Anybody know what that's? It, it's true, man. Some deep truths in God's words. Broken fellowship with God breaks fellowship with others. God wants to bless you with fellowship, deep, abiding, growing fellowship, friendship with him. And flowing from that is deep, abiding, growing fellowship, friendship with others. Without it, we're struggling. And man, it goes south fast. Adam and Eve have two sons. One kills the other. Genesis 6, not a few generations later, things are so bad. Humanity goes so far away from God. They're exploiting each other, sinning against each other, that God's like, just floods the place out. Looks like it's over. But God, remember this, what does he want? God wants to dwell with his people. That's what he's after. And God gets his way. Right? So he... He saves a line, a thin line that runs through Noah and his family. He spares them. He saves them because he's going to continue on and make his will be done. And that line leads us to Abraham. Genesis 12, we're at Genesis 12. How are you guys doing? Genesis 12, about 2090 B.C. This stuff's easier to date. So 2090 B.C., God initiates friendship. With Abraham. Abraham was called a friend of God. Isn't that a great title? Give me that t-shirt. Friend of God. God initiates friendship with Abraham, fellowship with him. And God promises in this friendship, this fellowship, to bless Abraham. Big promises, big blessings. He is promising to bless Abraham. And through Abraham, one of his descendants, one of his offspring... Through that, he's going to bless all people, all people, with fellowship, with friendship, with God. That's the promise. That's what he promises to do. Fast forward 450 years. Here we go. 1446 B.C. The physical offspring, the descendants of Abraham, have multiplied into this people. What are they called? Israel. All right. Ten points, Colby. They're like this legit, they're, they've multiplied, they're this legit standalone 
uh, ethnic group, people called Israel, descendants of Abraham. And God saves them. He sees their distress. They call out to him. He saves them. He moves because he's a friend. He moves. He rescues them from slavery in Egypt and brings them up out of Egypt into a place to do what? Well, let's see. What's his goal? What's he going to do? Leviticus 26, 11 through 12. He says that I will put my dwelling place among you. I will walk, does that sound familiar? I will walk among you and be your God. And you will be my people. God bringing them from slavery into friendship. Okay, what kind of dwelling place is he talking about here? Exodus 25, 9. God gives them this word through Moses. He, he commands them. He gives them some directives. Make a tabernacle, this tabernacle, a dwelling place, a tent. He's going to pop up a tent there. And all of its furnishings, exactly like the pattern I will show you. All right, let's see if they do it. Are they going to trust and obey and come into this fellowship and enjoy that or not? They do. Good news, they do. And in this pattern for this tabernacle, it's reminiscent of the Garden of Eden. There's like pomegranates, it smells good, there's incense in there, there's bread, there's food. It's, it's like this little picture of that garden, like in the beginning. All right, so Israel obeys God, built the tabernacle, and when they are finished, Exodus 30, no, sorry, Exodus 40, 34, watch what happened. It says, when they completed construction, then the cloud... The cloud, picture this, cloud covered the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and the glory, wrapped up in this cloud, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, filled the place. It's a picture, a tangible, visual picture of God dwelling, coming down, dwelling with his people, fellowshipping with his people. God has created this set-apart place on earth, for his presence, the hot spot of his presence. It's a place now where heaven and earth overlap. Was Eden, God moves history forward, now it's in this place. All right, here we go. Let's keep following this fellowship. Forty years later, starting in 1406 B.C., God led Israel into the promised land. Somebody said it, maybe. After they settled, God instructed them to replace the tent, this tabernacle, with a temple, something more permanent, right, uh, made out of stone. And the temple had a similar layout to the tabernacle. All right, and then in 960, it was built under King Solomon, 960 B.C. We've covered a lot of ground now. It says, your bulletin says 906, sorry about that. It's 960 B.C., 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13. The singers, after this thing was being dedicated, the singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good. Amen. His love endures forever. He's going to keep doing what he's going to do. He's going to bring people into fellowship. He's going to do it. He does it. Then the temple of the Lord, here it is, was filled with the cloud. It was filled with the cloud, God's presence. Good catch, Wayne. The glory of God. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the place, filled the temple of God. His presence was so thick, so tangible, 
that they couldn't do what they were supposed to do in there. God's presence with his people, God coming down to dwell with us, man. The place God set apart for his presence, the new hotspot of God's presence on earth. Sounds good. Can you go there today? No, it's gone. The temple that Solomon built, gone. It was destroyed 586 BC, 960, 586 BC. What happened? About 400 years after it was built. What happened? Same old pattern. Darn it. Israel broke fellowship with God. They started to stray. They started to do things their own way, which went against God's ways. They started to reject, ignore God and his words. They stepped out of fellowship. They broke fellowship. Just like humanity did in the beginning. Just like humanity tends to do again and again and again. But God, you know, God's love endures, man. He called after them. He turned back, come back. He warned them again and again what, what happened, the consequences. But they ignored. They ignored him. They ignored his word. And then the second part, repeat. And God sent them out. God sent them out. Can't have both ways. Can't be in fellowship and be in sin. You, you can't be your own boss and be in fellowship with me. We go together. Hey, here we are again. Israel, banished, sent out into captivity, into exile for 70 years. Things are bad. Things are low. Separation, they feel it, the grief, the emptiness. They cry out, they call back. This faithful remnant within that group calls out. They return. God said, okay, he brings them back. His faithfulness endures. They return, they rebuild the temple. But it's not the way it was before. No mention of God filling this new temple. Something has changed, something has shifted. There's an emptiness, there's a grief, a lingering question. Has God left us for good? What's he doing? Into this questioning, into this emptiness, God continues to speak. God, God reminds them of what he's already spoken. God gives him new messages. Speaking about a time when the Lord God himself will come and dwell with his people. It's, it's, there's amazing promises, these, these pieces, it's a mosaic, it's a picture uh, with different pieces coming through different prophets at different times that this, the Son of God is coming, that this God in the flesh will be born of a virgin, will be born in Bethlehem, will be an offspring of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham, further down the line, and of David, but also somehow the Son of God. The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, the one who will come and fill you. Hey, why didn't he fill the temple? Because he's going to come and fill you and me, his people, with his presence, with the cloud of his glory. Big promises in the emptiness. And then a long wait, long wait. But then, in the year 29 A.D., we flipped over now, 
29 AD, a voice was heard calling in the wilderness, and life without God, life separated from God, it's a wilderness. Not a nice, lush, pretty wilderness, but dry and barren like Judea wilderness. But in this wilderness, a voice called out with authority, resonated with the authority of God's voice. A voice was heard calling out in the wilderness saying, Luke 3, 4, prepare, prepare, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. The Lord is coming. The time has come. Be ready. Are you ready? If not, straighten those paths. Straighten those crooked places. Get cleaned up. Turn away from your sins. Get ready. And then it happened. Yes. Jesus of Nazareth comes on the scene. He's born in Bethlehem, physical descendant of, of David. And when the voice that was calling out in the wilderness, his name's John the Baptist, saw Jesus, God drops a revelation on John the Baptist and he recognizes Jesus. This is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Look, look, the Lamb of God is here. And another witness, John, another John, son of Zebedee, recalling these events, puts it like this. John 1, 1, in the beginning, in the beginning, way back, back to Genesis, in the beginning, before creation, in the beginning was the Word, was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 14, and then, A.D. 29, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. There's that Word. He came to be among His people. He came. We've seen Him, man. We saw Him. We saw His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God has come down. The Lord has come. And what does Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Lord of God, the, the worship of God, the Word of God in the flesh do? What does He do? He calls people out of the wilderness, out of sin, out of separation from Him to come with Him. He says, come with me. Follow me. And we see Him fellowshipping with people, gathering people around the table, all kinds of people, people like you and me. Wealthy people, poor people, sin-filled people, really religious people. Just a crazy range of people around the table with Jesus, fellowshipping, eating with them, laughing with them. He's teaching them. He's speaking the word of God. He's dwelling with them. He's walking among them. Saying, follow me. Enter into the eternal fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I've come to make the way. It's awesome. It's exciting. Three and a half years, man. I wish I had seen it. wish I was there. And then at the peak of his popularity, the peak, the pinnacle, going to Jerusalem, going to the hot spot of God's presence, the place where God's supposed to be present. The Son of God, God with us, did something foretold 
but still unexpected. He allowed himself to be arrested, to be tried, and to be killed. Jesus, God in the flesh, submitted to the sin of humanity. Why? To become that sacrifice, a sacrifice, the sacrifice that pays for and breaks the power of sin, that thing that kept pulling us away, that pays for the penalty for your sin, to break its power. He came to be the once for all time sacrifice to re remove the separation between you and God that's caused by our sin. There's a picture, God is brilliant. You go through the Bible, you're like, wow, he's showing us this, not only in words and phrases and visions, but he's showing us in history what he's trying to convey to us. Let's look at what Jesus did through his sacrifice by looking at a picture of the tabernacle. So we're going back in time again. Look at the tabernacle, the way it was set up when God came to dwell with his people Israel. All right, it's in your bulletin, it's up here. And you can probably see it pretty well. All right, now, if you're the little guy on the right, see him outside? Okay, you're looking. Let's just say you're outside this thing. What do you see? A wall, like a boundary. Oh, hey. All right. I've heard God's in there, present in some way there. There's a boundary. All right, but then there's a little, little, little opening. All right, so you find the opening. You get to this narrow gate, this narrow opening, and you walk in, and can you tell, what's the first thing you see? The altar. This fire, this burning. What is that? What do they do there? Sacrifices. So you come in, the first thing you see is this altar, which is where you would come to offer sacrifice for your sin. When you became aware that, oh, I've gone against God's word. God's word, I've transgressed the good limits he's set up for us. And I'm in a state of guilt. I need to come and be set right with God. I want to be reconciled with God. I want to restore fellowship with God. So I come to his presence, and the first thing I do is bring an offering, a sacrifice. And this is wild. It was an animal. So that it was, this was all a foreshadowing of Jesus being the once for all time sacrifice. But you'd have to take this animal, and it's alive. And you're holding this animal. Maybe you're carrying it. Maybe you're. And what you do is you would lay your hands on this animal. You know, it's moving around, it's there, it's alive. And you would confess your sins as you laid your hands on this animal that was going to be a substitutionary sacrifice for your sin. You would lay your hands on it. You would put your sins on this sacrifice, on this animal. And you, I forgot about this, I was reading it recently, you would kill it. And the blood would run out. Now you do that once. 
What, what are you recognizing? What do you realize? What is God showing us? Sin is serious. It separates me from God, and a high price needs to be paid to set me right with God. It's expensive. It's costly. Something else has to suffer, because if the animal doesn't, who does? You. Either the animal bears the sin in its body for you, or you bear your own sin. God save us, right, from that situation. He has. He's made this way so he can come into his presence. The first thing you do is you need to deal with this sin problem. Now, you do that. Could you go any closer back then? Not unless you were a descendant of Aaron. So that's a very thin line. You'd be a priest at that point. You'd go a little farther. Once in a while, you could go into the first stage of the tent, which was the holy place. You do stuff in there. That's pretty cool. But you could not go into the next phase, which is the most holy place, the holy of holies, the actual hotspot of God's presence on earth, that point, that tipping point, that touching point. Only one person, one time a year, could go in there. And what does this show us? It's closed. There's a separation. There's boundaries. It's blocked. But let's go a little deeper. Let's say you could go in there, into the most holy place. What would you see? You'd see an ark, like a, like a tre treasure chest, gold, with cherubim, these angelic figures on top, and a lid. If you pulled back the lid, what would be inside? Marking, designating God's presence. Two tablets, stone tablets, with the word of God on them. The word of God. This is how God is, is an interesting God. He's a, he's a bit hidden. He's subtle. He's not like, hey, make me these big shiny idols. He's hidden. And the thing that marks who he is is his word. He identifies with his word, the word of God is connected to God. All right, so it's all hidden away here. Jesus came in the flesh. Where did he come from? From heaven. All right? The, the real, true, actual, most holy place. The tabernacle is just a copy of heaven. A little model of it. God in the flesh comes, and what does John call him? What do you call him? The Word of God comes from the most holy place, heaven. The Word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God has come out of the holy place. You couldn't get to him. God comes out to you and me. And then God lays his life down as a sacrifice to give you free access to him. He removes the barriers, the boundaries. The word of God comes. So now, if you, me, anyone, turns away from their sins, 
That's repentance. And says, yes, Jesus, I see it. I realize I need and I want to receive your sacrifice for my sins. Then you can come into God's presence. You can come into God's presence with freedom and confidence. My sin problem, my sin issues are dealt with, are paid for in full by that once for all perfect sacrifice that all the other sacrifices pointed forward to. And then God wants you to know this is true, wants you to know that that's happened. And he does that by pouring his spirit, his glory into you. He marks you, he seals you to help you know it's finished, it's paid for. I'm with you now. And if that's you, if you've done that, if you've come in, then this is, this is a word about you and me. Con Ephesians 2.19 Now, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers in the wilderness, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members now of his household. You've come into his fellowship. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the words given by God, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone of this new building. In him, in Christ Jesus, the whole building, God's building something here, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. The new temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, you, you and me, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God now lives by his spirit. But we're his tabernacle. This right here is his hot spot, the hot spot of God's presence on earth. We're looking at each other. We're looking at it. This is it. God has gathered us together to himself, to fellowship with him. It's happening here. Do you want it? That's the next fill Do you want this fellowship with God? It's for you. It's for you. It's offered to you. That's what God offers. That's what God's doing in the world. He's bringing people into fellowship. If yes, then number one, it's a fill-in. Number one, receive. Step one, you go in to the tabernacle there. Receive Jesus' sacrifice for your sins. It's the only way in. One narrow gate. Go to the altar. Oh, I don't have a sacrifice. Oh, Jesus, please that you believe it, that you put your trust in what he's done for you so you can come into God's presence. It's a way for you to reaffirm that. And if you're just like, man, the Spirit is calling me, and yes, I understand, and I want to receive that, then you can take communion with us also. Communion, we'll get to that in a minute. If you're wrestling, you're like, hey, I, this sounds interesting, I don't understand. You have questions, fill out a connection card, contact us. We, we will help you walk it through like somebody did for us. And... Here's another offer. Fellowship, participation, sharing. God offers you and me the opportunity to participate in building this tabernacle. You get to build with God. We get to join in with what he's doing. We get another picture of this in 1 Corinthians 3. Look at this. He's talking about the temple that he was talking about in Ephesians. If anyone builds on this foundation, remember the foundation that's Christ Jesus, the foundation of this living temple that we are now. 
If anyone builds on this foundation using gold or silver or costly stones, like expensive, like things you want to be careful with, or wood or hay or straw, that's interesting, that sounds different, their work, listen, their work, your work, my work, will be shown for what it is. Because the day when Jesus returns will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each of our works, each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Sweet. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will still be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Yikes. You get a picture of it, right? We get to build with him. We get to build carefully with him. We get to participate in this work that he's doing in the world. This reminded me of a guy you might know named Rob Willie. Some know him as Robert. I call him Rob. Where are you, Rob? Come on up, Rob. Woo, Rob Willie, everybody. All right, man. So Rob yes. is leaving us. Sorry, buddy. I love you. Ah, I'm mad at you. And uh, the reason I thought about Rob doing this is he, he's been here two years. And Rob has had, in those two years, big impact. In two short years. He told me two years. I was like, really? Seems like it was longer. Yeah. In May, I, I looked it up. Okay. Yeah. And he's built. He's partnered with us and with God in helping build out this fellowship build out this living temple. He's a living stone in this temple, but he's not just sitting there on the wall. He's been in. He's been in. The Spirit of God is with him. It's in him. You're like, I can't see it, but if you spend time with him, you'll see it. You'll see the evidence. You'll see the fruit of God's Spirit. He's flawed. He's imperfect, but he's compassionate. He's compassionate. He's bold. The dude would go out with me on Broadway Plaza and try to talk to people about Jesus. And we'd fumble through that. Um, he's generous. That's evidence of God's spirit in you. He's generous. And he probably doesn't want me telling you, but he, he's a, just a generous giver. Financially, uh, with his time, with his energy, he's the guy you call up. Like, I'm, I'm game. I'm up for it. You see him playing drums. You'll see him tear down stuff. You, you might have seen him a few months ago set up the Foursquare thing. Yeah. yeah. Under the tyrant that I am. Yes. Yeah, thank, yeah, thanks for putting <laughs> up with me. Yeah. He's, I've seen him in, in, uh, participate in small groups. He's helped me. He's prayed for me. He's prayed for many of you here, whether you knew it or not, whether you were there or not. He has prayed for God's kingdom to come more and more. He's encouraged me. He's, he's challenged me. He's corrected me in a nice, loving way, grace and truth. He's taken some hard steps of obedience out of sin and into life, costly stuff. He's a sacrificial dude. I'm going to miss you. You're a blessing. Yeah. Let's pray for Rob. Lord, thank you for my brother. Uh, thank you for bringing them here with us. Uh, and we're aliens and strangers. We're passing through. Uh, 
and it hurts saying goodbye to him, but I know you, you and me, Rob, and us here, we're part of a bigger fellowship all around this world, even in Fresno where he's going. God's presence is there. His hot spot is there. So, Lord, we ask that you go before him, that you would bless him, that you would uh, bring him in to uh, a deep level of fellowship, that next level, uh, with you and with others, God. Um, thank you for him. We look forward to visits and uh, bless our brother. Thank you. Amen. Yeah. We get to build with God. You get to build with God. You help people. You help build this place. You help build fellowship with each other, fellowship with God. We do that when we serve each other, when we welcome each other, when we see the person we didn't know, and we don't just talk to our own little clique, but we go and we welcome the other. We love each other. We forgive each other. We make sacrifices for each other. When we pray for each other, when we worship together, when we use our gifts and abilities or you know, just try to fumble through to serve each other. When we play together, when we eat together, when we share with and help each other, when we do the good things that God tells us to do, we build his presence. One last thing. Let's look ahead. Where's God taking this whole thing? We look back. We look what he's doing now. Look where he's taking us. Here's where God is bringing all of history. Revelation 21, after Jesus' return, after that day, still future to us, we have a vision of it. John got it, and he heard it too. He heard, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. But something's changed. Something's different. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. God's going to complete the job. Bring us into that new heavens and earth. So let's commit to that together. Let's come in by going to communion. By going to Jesus, by taking communion together. All right, if you want to take communion and you don't have one, just raise your hand. We'll get you a cup. And this is, it's so, it's so God that we've just heard about and learned about. It's such a fellowshipping God. During a meal, Jesus with his disciples, eating together, spending time together. Before he went to the cross, he was there with his disciples. And during the meal, he took bread he gave thanks for it. He broke it. And he handed it to them and he said, take, take and eat. This is my body. His body, the sacrifice. His body broken for you. Take and eat. If you want to receive that, you know you need this sacrifice for your sins. Receive the bread. Receive his body broken for you. We take him in. We thank you, Jesus. And then he took the cup. He gave thanks. He offered it. 
He offers it to all of them. He offers it to you. Drink from this, all of you. Symbolizes, this is a picture of the blood of my covenant, my commitment to you, which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Thank you, Jesus. We receive the sacrifice for us. Lord, we turn away from our sins. We come out of the wilderness. We come to you. We thank you for making the way through your loving sacrifice, Jesus. We thank you, God. We ask that you would fill us again with your presence. Lord, we want to walk with you from this place into our week. We thank you. You're right there. You're with us. Lord, help us not forget. Help us not stray. Help us not get lost this week. Help us be faithful to you. Help us build with you. Help us enjoy the gift of your friendship. We love you. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.